You're listening to A Slice of Therapy with me, Alan Parry. In today's episode, I want to go through the three steps to change. So whenever I'm working with anybody, no matter what the situation, I'm always trying to hit these three particular points. And so you may as well know what they are as well, and you'll kind of understand my way of working better. And the way I refer to them are three experiential opposites. And so when I train other therapists, as I often do, I'll tend to go into quite a bit of detail around this framework of three experiential opposites. So what I'm going to do today, I'm going to go through what those experiential opposites are. So first of all, we're going to go from problem to solution. The second one is where we look at the part of you that doesn't want what you want. And then the final opposite is where we actually take the good reason why that part of you doesn't want what you want. Look at the prediction that it's working from. And we basically, the opposite is that we break that prediction so that it's no longer having those fears or worries or concerns. And so it's free then to let you have what you want without it getting in the way. So in this episode, I'm going to talk you through each of those three steps one by one. Now, I wanted to share this with you basically because not every therapist works according to this framework, but I find it's the best framework in order to get change. Now, that very first opposite I mentioned is going from the problem to the solution or the outcome, if you like. So whenever we go to therapy or go to anyone who might help us, might even be a coach or any service at all, we start off with a problem. And we're very, very focused on what the problem is, the thing that's getting in our way. And so what's a really helpful thing to do is to throw a little bit of focus after hearing about the problem in terms of what the outcome will be once the problem is gone. And so I'll often ask people a question which is very similar to, you know, once our work is done and it's completed and it's been successful, what is life going to look like for you once this problem is gone? So if someone comes with anxiety, for instance, you might say, okay, let's fast forward to a time when the anxiety is no longer going to be there. What's going to be there instead? Instead of this problem, what are you actually going to have instead? And it's an important question because if we're on a journey together, we really need to know the destination. If you were to uh, jump into a taxi cab, the very first question that the driver will ask is, where are you heading? And if you don't know where you're heading, then that journey is not going to be a very successful one. And so it's the same really with personal change as well. So in therapy, one of the things that I'm really going to be keen to know is what is it you want instead? And so that's the first opposite, where we go from that problem focus to a focus that is what will life look like? What will you have instead 
once we get rid of the problem. When the problem is no longer there, what will you notice that tells you that the problem is no longer there? And also, what is going to replace it? What's life going to look like when there isn't the anxiety or there isn't the depression or whatever it happens to be that you're bringing to therapy? So that's the first experiential opposite. I'll guide you to identify what success looks like once our work is successfully done. Now, the second opposite is we now know what you want. We've gone from the problem to what you actually want instead. So we now have to make another leap. We know now what it is that you want. And it's not just the absence of the problem. There's other stuff that's going to be present in its place. So we now know that. And so the question then that's interesting is, why isn't that already happening? Now, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you'll know that I often say the change is very mundane. Even for those of us who feel stuck over something, all of us are making changes in our life all the time. If you're sat in the dark and you put the light on, you've just made a change. And that change normally is very, very easy. In fact, we're making changes all the time. And those changes are very easy for all of us to make. And yet, in this situation, we've decided to seek help because this particular change, even though we know that we want to get rid of the problem, even though we have a handle on what it is that we want instead, especially once we have talked it through, we're not getting it. So if change is mundane and easy, why is this change hard? So the key opposite here is that there is a part of us when we're dealing with one of these stuck things that is a part of us that is actually opposed to you getting what you want. And the reason that it's opposed is for a very good reason. Now, part of our work together is rather than just trying to push you towards the thing that you want or try and get you to stop having the problem that you don't want, we have to look at the motivation of that part of you, which is probably completely out of awareness, but that part of you which is keeping the problem alive. You know, there's a very famous sketch, and you can find it on YouTube, and it's the uh, American comedian Bob Newhart is in it. And he plays a therapist in this sketch, And so this woman comes in and tells him the problem. And his response is to say, stop it. And of course, she's alarmed, but she says, stop it. And he says, yes, stop it. You don't want to be living like that, do you? It sounds horrible. She says, it is horrible. And he says, well, stop it. Now, the reason why that works as a comedy sketch is partly because his advice is so ridiculous but also partly because stopping it tends to be what we do for most things. If I'm sat in the dark and I can't read my book, well, I stop sitting in the dark. I make a change that means that I put the light on. And so it's funny in a sense because we're stopping it with so many things in our life all the time. 
If I'm thirsty, I stop it and I'll go and get a drink of water. And so it kind of makes sense on one level that we could just stop it. But on another, it's completely ridiculous because there is something underneath here. Now, I call this the invisible twin. So the way I kind of think about it, which you might find it helpful to think about your stuff as well, is that there's something that you want to change and you want a different outcome. And yet at the very same time, out of awareness, which is why I call it the invisible twin, there's a version of us that needs the problem to stay alive, that needs the problem to still exist. Now, once we discover what the good reason is, why this part of ourselves is so reluctant to let the problem go and give us what we actually want. Once we understand the good reason, the fear, the worry, the concern, the scary prediction even, like if I let you have that, then this even worse thing is going to happen. Once we understand that and neutralize it, then the change is really easy. Now, one of the things that I often use in order to to kind of make this a little bit clearer, is those old-style kind of mobster uh, movies. And you'll see some uh, poor shopkeeper, and they're working all the hours God sends, and then someone from the mafia comes in and demands some money from them, and they hand over the money. Now, what they'd like to do is stop it. They don't want to be handing over the money to the mafia person. They'd rather spend that on themselves, their families, maybe even the business itself. But they certainly don't want to give it to this racketeer, and yet they do. But the reason why they do is that there's a part of themselves that has a really good reason for keeping on handing over the money. And that good reason is that they fear that there will be an even worse outcome if they stop. And so that's just a... A, a, a story, really, to connect to this sense that I think we all have, that when we find some of the changes, even though most of the changes we make are easy, when we notice that a particular change is hard, what's often going on for us there is that we have this invisible twin who doesn't actually want us to get what we want. And the reason why, much like that shopkeeper in the Mafia movie, they predict that there's going to be an even worse outcome should we drop the problem and get what we want instead. So a person, for instance, who is always on alert, and if they say, I don't want to be anxious anymore, I don't want to be on my guard and on alert. But if we dig into it, what would it be like to be a person who is obliviously carefree? And once we start exploring what that's like for the invisible twin, for you to get what you want, then we start to notice all kinds of discomfort. And in that discomfort, we can start to understand why the invisible twin is actually stopping you from getting what you genuinely want. Because there's a really good reason that we have to work with. There's a prediction that if you get what you want, if you let go of this problem, then things are going to be even worse. Now, you can imagine, for instance, a person who has been brought up, say, in a very volatile household. 
why their nervous system, why their invisible twin would be very, very reluctant to no longer be on guard, to no longer be on alert, because being on alert was the very thing that got them through at the time. And so they're still running on that old prediction, on that old programming. And so that's the second opposite, and it's a really crucial one, that once we identify what it is that you want instead, we have to identify that barrier, that part of you, which for very, very, very good reason, as it sees it, doesn't actually want us to get what we want. And so we have to explore that invisible twin in order to find out what is so necessary for the problem that we don't want to stay alive and to keep protecting us from this other feared worse consequence. Okay, so once we understand the prediction of the invisible twin, the reason why they're so anxious to keep the problem in existence, once we understand the programming, the prediction, which is probably a very outdated prediction, we can then use that as a target and aim to neutralize that. So this is the final opposite where we take the old prediction and we update it. Now, this is the funny thing with trauma response. I sometimes refer to erasing trauma response, but actually I'm being a little bit inaccurate there because when we get rid of trauma, the way it works, kind of in terms of the neuroscience of it, is that we're not strictly just erasing it. We're actually replacing it. We're overlaying it with something else. A little bit like the way that you would erase a tape. So you might have an old cassette tape with a particular album on it. But then to get rid of that, you'd have to record over it with something else. Even if that thing was silence, you'd have to replace it rather than just wipe it clean. And that's how trauma is as well. And so once we understand the core prediction that is going on either in terms of our beliefs, in terms of our nervous systems, what we can then do is use a whole range of approaches. But what they're aimed at doing is essentially updating that prediction. So this is the final opposite, going from one set of knowings and I mean knowings that are held in the body rather than the intellect, but going from one set of knowings that lead to a particular prediction to updating that with the current reality. And so when that happens, we actually overwrite the trauma. So the trauma response, even though we remember what happened and it's still part of our story, it doesn't touch our life anymore. We don't feel activated by it anymore. And so that invisible twin is now able to step down. Now, when the invisible twin is no longer there stopping us from getting what we want because it fears that something even worse would happen, once it realizes and it's updated its knowledge base and it knows that that's no longer something that it believes anymore, it stands down. And so what happens then is the change, once again, like in every other area of your life, becomes mundane, 
and it becomes easy. Without that invisible twin standing in your way, in your own protection, but with a outdated prediction that it's working from, once that's updated and it steps down, the change is really straightforward. And so there's the three opposites. The first is to go from what's the problem to what it is that you want. Then the second is we take what it is that you want and we find the part of you that actually doesn't want that at all. So we've got that kind of inner dialogue going on between the part of you that does want it and the part of you that's scared to let you have it, that is being very protective of you. And thirdly, we take the good reason, that prediction, and we update it so it has current reality knowledge. And so the invisible twin actually steps down and finally allows you to get what you want because it no longer believes that letting you get what you want is going to result in more harm for you. So you can probably see here that the reason why this is so powerful is that we're actually working on the right thing. Often when people bring a problem to therapy, it's very, very tempting to really focus on the problem itself. Whereas this whole process of the invisible twin, of these experiential opposites, what we really need to focus on is not that the problem is there, but why this invisible twin finds it so necessary to keep the problem in existence. Because it's only when we find that out that we can neutralize the barrier to you getting what you want. And that's often the result of some sort of psychological injury or trauma. And what I mean by that is, It's not about what's wrong with you. If anything, the invisible twin is a genius and you were a genius for creating this invisible twin. It's about what happens to us. And it's about what happened to us in life. That this invisible twin is continuing to protect us from that thing. Which hopefully is no longer occurring for you. And so when we update that prediction. Then you can actually get what you want. And the benefit of working this way by focusing on what's stopping us from making the change as easy as mundane and mundane as change normally is, is it allows us to work on the right thing. And when we work on the right thing, the change obviously happens much more quickly than if we're focused for a very long time on the wrong thing. So I hope that's useful. If you found this episode useful, please do share it so others can get the benefit as well. And if you'd like to work with me directly, I'm Alan Parry, and you can find out more about how I work at liverpoolpsychotherapy.co.uk. And of course, you don't have to be local to me because I work 100% online, so you can be based absolutely anywhere. Also, I want to let you know about a free video course that I've put together for you, and it's called Childhood Trauma Gone for Good. And it shows you how your trauma can now be completely eliminated. 
You can get that video series completely free. Just go to a sliceoftherapy.com forward slash free. And please subscribe to the podcast as well because this is free too. And it means that you'll never miss an episode again. So thanks for listening and I'll see you again on the next one.